0: sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. It's a little over 16 years ago that my wife and I moved to Denmark. We came at the time with four young children and a fifth on the way. And since we were coming from Indonesia, moving to Denmark, I figured I'd probably never play golf again, and so I put up my golf clubs thinking that That hobby is now part of my history. And instead, I picked up a different hobby. Um, With some gift money that we had been given, I bought some power tools, and I took up carpentry, woodworking, uh, building furniture. And uh, one of the first things we needed was some school desks that our children needed because we were homeschooling two of them. And so I just made some very simple uh, desks for them to use. Uh, But our children also needed some beds. So I found some plans on the internet of how to make your own pine wood uh, bunk beds and uh, went straight to work. Uh, Most of it I was self-taught, but every time I went to the store to buy more tools or equipment, uh, the guy that sold me the tools and equipment always had uh, helpful tips and shortcuts and ways to do things that were always very helpful. I very much enjoyed the hobby and realized that I enjoy building things. And I built these two beds that you could also stack on each other. And when my wife found out that we were only held together with glue, uh, then she insisted that if we're going to stack the beds on top of each other and our children were going to sleep in these beds, that I'd have to use some hardware as well, which, as a good husband, of course, I did. Since then, I built a coffee table. I built some TV stands. For my parents, I built a custom-made wine rack and a... um, a couple of golf equipment uh, racks for the garage Um, and uh, in fact, I also made my own woodworking bench and with some of the scraps out of that wood, I made a swing that you could sit out in the yard, uh, frame and everything. But all of that that I have built, most of it does not exist anymore. The swing uh, being exposed to the elements finally rotted and is no more. Now, the frame is still there. I think my dad has put a different swing in there since. Um, The wine rack is still uh, functioning as it should, and so are the golf equipment uh, racks. Uh, But just recently, the coffee table finally gave out. I think the boys were putting their feet on it too often or leaning against it or whatever, and it finally just collapsed. Uh, The glue came undone, and uh, now it's uh, trashed. We went and bought something cheap from Ikea instead. (laughs) But um, I enjoy building, and um, uh, I think all of us, are building something at any one time. For some of us, we're building a career. Others, we're making sure that our reputation is intact, and we're building our reputation. For others, it's a business we're building. And yet others, you're building your family. For others, you're building a library. And I know that some of us here are actually building a house. Um, All of us, to some extent, tend to be building something. Well, the question is, how significant is it what you're building? Will it last? Will some of it simply just go by the wayside even as an unfinished project? Um, Or if it is a finished project, will it withstand um, your children using it or uh, uh, the the time that's put into it? Because there's nothing inherently wrong with building many of the things that I've mentioned. It's not that. The question is, how significant is what we're building? and will it last?" And today, as we'll see from Jesus' own words, He's also building something. He's building something that is guaranteed to last, and it'll last forever. We arrive today at the very crucial point in the ministry of Jesus, a turning point, you could say, because all up until this point that we reached here in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has been revealing who He is to His followers and they've seen bit by bit that He is truly a remarkable person. Not only does He teach with authority, but He also heals the sick. Those that are disabled are restored. Those who were deaf and mute can now hear and speak. Those who had demons have been set free from them. And the same Jesus could even speak to the storm And the wind and the waves and cause them to calm down. Not only that, the same Jesus could actually walk on water to His disciples. Well, at this point then, He asks His disciples who they think that He is, and that's what's so significant because as soon as they have confessed His true identity as He's been revealing to them, He then begins to speak about the future. The future that's near to them, and then the distant future. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, we'll see what it is that Jesus, the carpenter's son, is building. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, this turning point in this gospel and in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man but by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ." So Jesus, as you can see, wanted to evoke a a confession from His disciples. He first began by asking, Who do the others say that I am? And they answered, Some say that you're John the Baptist, Others say that you're Elijah, Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But the real matter, the real issue was, Now that they've been following Him all this time, Now that they've observed Him all this time, Now that they've seen all of these miracles and heard His teaching, Who do they say that he is? What about you, he asks. And Simon Peter was the one that answered, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Before we go on, I have to ask you, what would be your response to that question? I mean, my assumption is that most of you are here in church today because for you, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why you come to church on Sundays because we cannot really concern ourselves with what others say about who Jesus is. You cannot consider your grandmother's confession as your own. Or when you you are asked, who do you say Jesus is? Well, my father always used to say, because what others say and believe about Jesus does not make any difference in your life today, nor will it make any difference on judgment day. Ultimately, we ourselves need to be certain of who we say Jesus is. So what about me? Who do I say Jesus is? You know, he made certain bold claims. He claimed that he was sent by God the Father, that he existed before even Abraham was born. He claimed that he was one with the Father, and he even forgave sins, something that only God can do. So if he deliberately said those things and claimed those things, and yet he knew that none of it was true, well, then Jesus is no more than simply a liar, a deceiver. And there are many who have made similar claims, trying to say that they're divine or that they've been sent by God or that they have the authority of God, and they use their deception, they use their lies in order to gain power and influence over their followers and to take advantage of them, sometimes physically, sometimes sexually, sometimes financially. Well, if he deliberately said those things and he knew they weren't true, then he is nothing more than a liar. But if he made those claims because he really believed he was and he wasn't, then he was delusional, or what we would say, a lunatic. And I'm sure that we can find several people in asylums today being protected from themselves and from us who make certain claims of being divine and who really think that they are true, but in fact, they're not. But if we believe that Jesus was neither lying nor was delusional, then those claims He made must be true, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, just as Peter had confessed. And we too should be willing to confess it. You know, when Jesus sent out His disciples, He said to them that many would reject them and persecute them because of Him. And He said that whoever acknowledges Me before men I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before men, I will also disown them before my Father in heaven. So we have to come to that truth and understanding and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the question for us today is, have you made that confession? I'm assuming many of you have, but maybe some of you are here because you're inquiring, you're exploring, you're wondering what the truth is. Because if you have believed in your heart, then you, should ought to, you ought to let that faith be expressed through your words and your deeds. Now, some of you here may still have those suspicions and your doubts about His true identity. Some of you may be questioning the authenticity of the gospel records and, his, and history. But until you conclude that the gospels are true and history is faithfully recorded, then you are still in denial of the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that denial will have its consequences on Judgment Day. But I'm assuming many of you have made that confession, that you do believe in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God. And I ask you, have you made that confession public? Because many of us have been believers for a time, but we've never really told anyone about that. And if you've had baptism, if you've been through the waters of baptism, then you've also made that confession very public because that's what baptism is. It's telling all those who are present in the church, and, whether they're believers or not, and telling them that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He died on the cross for my sins to pay for the sins that I have committed. And here at this church, we believe we're being faithful to what Jesus commanded us when we baptize those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour because He commanded us to be baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So maybe you've also made that confession public, maybe even through baptism, but have you made your confession to strangers or unbelieving friends? Today's testimony from Sebastian hopefully encouraged you that maybe the time is right for you to share that confession with someone that you've never met until this moment, or perhaps with some of your friends who are unbelievers. Because you know how sometimes a conversation can very naturally turn to things of eternity. You don't even have to lead it that way, that suddenly people talk about someone who passed away and, oh, I sure sure hope that they're with God in heaven. Sometimes they naturally center on morality, or as Sebastian was sharing, that whether or not there's, there's absolute truth or if all truth is relative. In those moments, what do you talk about? What do you share? Do you tell people about what the Bible teaches, about what you believe about Jesus Christ, the claims that he made? And then if the conversation never does go that direction, have you ever tried to steer the conversation in that direction? Because if you have the love that Sebastian was also talking about, the love for your neighbor, then you will want to lead conversations that way and build relationships so that you can take the conversation in that direction. Because if Jesus whom we confess as Lord commands us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, then we ought to be compelled either to initiate a conversation or at least begin speaking of our faith when the subject lends itself in that direction. And then if you don't know how to share your faith or you don't have the courage to do so, let me remind you, it does not mean you are exempt from sharing your faith or making your confession. You know, sometimes Christians will say, well, you know, that's wonderful that Sebastian will do that, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. You know, or some will say that, uh, well, what if I get to a point where I don't know how to explain something that they ask about? Or others will just fear being rejected or ridiculed for their faith. Or maybe you think that chapter 16, verse 20 ought to be your life verse to be warned not to tell anyone that He was the Christ and therefore I'm misunderstanding what Jesus is saying there, but we'll get to what he he means in a moment. But to be a Christian, it means that you are a Christ follower, and if you follow him as Lord, then you must do what he commands. And so all of those other excuses are not valid excuses for not sharing your faith. Yes, it's possible to be a Christian and to make those excuses, but then you're being a disobedient Christian, And disobedient Christians cannot expect to be blessed by the Lord. They can only expect to be reproved, rebuked, or disciplined. So we want to encourage all of you Christians, whatever the area of your disobedience is, maybe your area of disobedience is you're not sharing your faith. Well, we want to encourage you and equip you so that you don't have to make excuses and that you can be obedient and God can use you as He desires. Because God's will for all of mankind is that all will confess His Son, Jesus, as the Christ. Scriptures are clear that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So people will either do that before their death and thereby escape the judgment, or if they have not confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord, then they will not escape from judgment, and they will be judged for their sins. And God's will is for us who believe in Jesus as the Son of God to be obedient in all things that He's commanded, even this commandment of sharing the good news with those around us. So do you want to experience God's blessing? I assume, yes, you do. Do you want to enjoy the abundant life? I assume your answer is, yes, I do. Do you want to fulfill the plans that God has for your life? I hope your answer is yes well, then we need to obey God's will. First of all, to confess Jesus Christ as Savior. And then notice what he says says to Simon Peter next, because this tells us what Jesus' plan is and what it is that he's building. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is this that Jesus is saying and teaching here? He called Simon blessed because that confession was a result of God's revelation, not man's revelation. And he told Simon that his name would now be Petros, which means simply rock or stone. And then he says that Simon Peter will, that upon this rock, he will build his church. Now, historically, the understanding of what Jesus meant by this phrase has been a great source of discussion and debate. In the Roman Catholic tradition, this rock that Jesus is speaking of, that He will build His church upon, is Peter, and Peter is the first pope, the vicar of Christ, the authority, the head of the church, and he is the beginning of all succession of bishops and popes after him. The Reformers, however, they took this rock to be not Peter himself, but his confession, his confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and upon that confession, Jesus is building His church. Well, much discussion has been made, as I, as I said earlier, and as I read the commentaries, I've arrived at what I think is most likely the rock that Jesus was referring to, that it was Peter himself, that Jesus was using a play on words, Petros being a male, gender word and Petra being a female gender word. Much has been made saying that it couldn't be the same thing because one is uh, male gender, one is female gender. But I don't think that there's a real distinction being made between Petros and Petra. Petros, of course, is a, a male gender word when he's referred to Simon Peter because he is a man. And Jesus is simply making a play on words that Peter is that rock on which Jesus Himself is building His church. But there's nothing in what He says to indicate that Peter is then the head of the church, a pope, the first in a long line of succession of popes. If that were the case, then Peter would not have been held accountable to the Jerusalem church. He would have been the authority of the Jerusalem church. But Peter was accountable to the church, and Peter was sent out by the other apostles. He was not the ultimate authority in his day when he was living. He was even rebuked by the Apostle Paul. If he had the ultimate authority, no one would have rebuked him, and Peter was not the last of the Apostles to die. If he had been the Pope, then his successor would then have had greater authority than the Apostles that were still living when Peter had died. Now I believe that Peter's primacy among disciples is chronological, not hierarchical. And that simply means that he is the first to make that clear and bold confession and the first of many who would come after him, to make that clear and bold confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter is, after all, always listed first. Whenever you see a list of disciples in the Gospels, Peter's listed first. And Jesus then fulfilled his word to Peter about building his church upon him when upon Pentecost, Peter began preaching and 3,000 were added to the church. What is the church? Well, simply put, it is the assembly of God's people. Ecclesia, the word that Jesus used here, or that's in the New Testament here, is a word with a root in the word kaleo, to call. So sometimes people say the church are the called out ones. But we take a definition of the word based on its usage, not so much of its origin or its root. And how was the word ecclesia or ecclesia used? It was used as simply an assembly. In the Old Testament, it was the assembly of God's Old Testament people. And in the New Testament, it refers essentially to all of those who believed in Jesus and followed him as the Christ. And the church then is, in essence, the assembly of all who, like Peter, confess Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And friends, this is what Jesus is building. This is His church, the confession of Him as the Christ and the Son of the living God, beginning with Peter and then all those who would come after Him. And notice also what Jesus says about what He is building, that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Maybe another word of explanation is helpful here because the gates of Hades is sometimes used figuratively as the powers of death. And if that is the case, then what Jesus is saying is that the powers of death may be on the offensive against the church, but the powers of death will not prevail. But perhaps Jesus is using it literally. The gates of Hades are the entrance or to the, the gates to the abode of death, where those who die go to wait until the final judgment. If that's the case, then the gates of death are stationary, and they are on the defensive aspect, and it is the church that will be on its march against these gates, and the gates will not be able to overcome the church advancing. And then Jesus told Simon Peter that he would give him the keys of the kingdom, and this is also a subject of much debate and discussion. I know there's a lot in this, but I'm hoping that at the end of this sermon you'll have a a better understanding of it, But it could also mean that Peter or the church determines who enters the kingdom. After all, if he has the keys, then he gets to determine who enters the kingdom of heaven, which is perhaps the source of all those jokes you hear about a person died and went to heaven, and there he stood before Peter, right, at the gates to heaven. That's perhaps the source of all of those jokes, is that we think that Peter has the keys to the kingdom, so he's the one that lets them in or out, or keeps them out but it could also be taken to mean that the church declares what heaven has already decided. And the reason that there's some confusion about that is because he says that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And that word will be can also be translated as shall have been. It is a word in the future perfect sense, it is a participle, and that's the confusion. So what it actually is, well, that's, again, much of debate. I believe simply that the church declares what heaven has already decided, that when someone has been entered into the kingdom of heaven, it's because God himself and heaven itself has already made that decision. So how do we sum all of this up? Well, Jesus is telling Peter that he's building his church upon him, the first of many confessing disciples And he continues to build this church through all of the ages until the church age is finally over. Peter is the first rock upon which Jesus is building his church, and this church will never be overcome by the power of death. And so our confession of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God, is a result also of God's revelation, not ours. Just like Jesus says to Peter, that you receive this revelation not from man but from God. And God has to use his Holy Spirit to work in us the truth that He would like to reveal. And how does God reveal His truth? Through His Word. Well, who brings His Word? Those who have confessed Jesus as Savior. Is there a better way, perhaps? But that's the way that God's decided, that it is you and I who confess Jesus to be the ones to bring that revelation to others, and that God will then use His Spirit to convict, And to make that truth known in their own hearts. It is the work of God to believe in the one he has sent, Jesus says, and all that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, what's this with the warning? Don't tell anyone that he's the Christ. Well, you see, the time had not yet come because the Messiah, the Christ, still had to suffer the crucifixion to pay for those sins. He still had to be rejected, and Peter's understanding Though it was correct about Jesus being the Messiah, he didn't realize that Jesus would still have to go to a cross. So what you're going to uh, read about next week when Bruno comes to preach about the next verses is that Peter makes this great mistake, thinking that Jesus now, he's he's going to warn about his own crucifixion coming up, and Peter says, no, 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 you're not, that's not going to happen to you at all. But so Jesus first had to be rejected as the Messiah to the Jews so that he could die on the cross for our sins. And of course, after his rejection, after he had died on the cross and been raised from the grave, then he says to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So as long as we are being faithful to God and being obedient, he is using us to bring the revelation of who Jesus is to those around us. You know, Jesus will continue building His church until that plan for the church is completely fulfilled. And our church, FIBC, is just a local embodiment of a much larger assembly worldwide of God's people. We're an assembly that exists in this time and place, and we may or may not exist the day that Jesus returns. And that all depends on us, on how much or how faithful you and I will be to continue doing what he asked us to do until he returns. This particular local church will depend on its members to be faithful to our call and mission. The assembly worldwide will succeed because Jesus is building it, but our local church depends on you and I being faithful to what we've been called to do. And thankfully, there have been faithful people before us. Those who felt that there was a need for an English language service here in Copenhagen, they began this ministry. And thankfully, over the years, there have been faithful people like you to continue the ministry, to continue sharing with others, to continue supporting this church. And people are faithful in varying degrees as they're among us for a time and then they go for a variety of reasons. But this church, as a whole, and or the church as a whole, and this local church, will always belong to Jesus, and it is He that is building it. So, we who are part of FIBC today, the question for us then is: Are we being faithful? Is Jesus able to use us in the building of not only the worldwide assembly, but in building this local assembly? How faithful, for example, is this church's pastor to preach and to teach? God's word and to equip people and care for its members. And then I ask, how faithful are its members to minister in the ways that they're gifted and equipped? How faithful are its ministry team leaders to lead and coordinate the teams that they're responsible for? And how faithful are all of us who are called to share the good news with others to let them hear it and to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? How faithful are we to share it? And when was the last time? that you put into words your confession of faith? Was it just this last weekend? Was it a week ago? Was it a month ago that you actually put into words how you came to faith and what it is that you believe in Jesus Christ about? Hopefully it wasn't too long ago. When was the last time you shared your testimony with a stranger who you knew or you didn't know much about until you met them? So we're coming back again to what Sebastian was sharing that we who are disciples of Jesus Christ should be the ones who bring the good news to everyone else. Before we are anything else, we are servants of Jesus and then employees of our companies. Before anything else, we are first children of God and then we are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and aunts. Before anything else, we're first followers of Jesus and then we are fans of sports teams and sports icons and entertainers and others. Before anything else, we're first obedient to Christ and then the other authorities and governing bodies and leaders. Everything we do, everything we ever do, must be done with the greater purpose of building what Jesus is building, His church. So even though our building projects may only last temporarily, what Jesus is building of His church will last forever he began a lasting building project with one confessing disciple. And when we believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, then we will join the church and the kingdom of God and we will continue to build his church with him. Have you made your confession? Have you made it publicly? Are you involved in the building of the local church, perhaps this one, sustaining it, helping it grow so that others will also hear about it? Because you're all building something. I'm sure of it, but unless you're doing so in order to be part of this greater project of building Christ's church, then it won't have much of a lasting impact. You know, it was Lyman Beecher from Boston Church, when people were impressed that his church was accomplishing so much, he says, oh, I preach Sundays, and then 400 of my church members preach every day. That's who you are, church. Someone else has once said, and I quote, the holiest moment of the church service is the moment when God's people, strengthened by preaching and sacrament, go out of the church door into the world to be the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Amen? Let us pray. Father, as we bow our heads, we acknowledge humbly that you are worthy of all honor, blessing, praise, and power. Lord, you are the God of eternity. You are the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, you have made us, and we are your sheep, the people of your pasture. First of all, Lord, we're filled with awe and thanksgiving that you would call us into your kingdom to reveal Jesus Christ to us that we can be part of this amazing building project called the church, and that we can be part of something called local that's called FIBC. And I just pray, Father, that each one of us would be faithful. All of us are called to different areas in church ministry. All of us called to serve. All of us called to be ministers. All of us called to be the ones to confess Jesus as Savior and to proclaim him. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would be faithful with a variety of gifts and abilities that each of us have been given. That all of us would rely upon your strength, receive our courage from you, that you would help us to overcome all fears, and that we would be bold enough to do what our part and your calling is for us to do. Thank you, Lord. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening.